There we are. Wow, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so listen, I, I won't lie. I woke up with my stomach in about three knots this morning at 5.30. Just so um, nervous and anxious, but excited to bring the word. It's, it's always such an honor. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's, it's always, it stretches me and, and grows me in all different ways that I couldn't have otherwise. So I'm always just so appreciative to our leadership for allowing me to come up here and do this. Uh, I will tell you, I can just assuredly say that the word of God is alive. And I can prove it to you this morning because what started as a devotional entry of mine from a passage that I read that was just a few verses long that I'm going to share with you today developed over this week as I chewed on it and meditated on it and just continued to write this message. It turned into about a billion pages of notes and I promise you I shortened it, (laughs) but it just, it, God just opened up my eyes and my mind to learn so much more about something that I've read probably multiple times over the course of my life, but they just, he just revealed so much more to me. And when we spend time in the word of God and allow him to do that, his word just breathes life. And it is the only, we talk a lot about content as far as social media and the news and just there's, we're always looking for good content. We have good content. We have amazing, alive content, amen, in the word of God. So I just encourage you, especially as we're entering into the Christmas season, get into your word and allow God to speak to you and through through it. Um, We are coming up on the Christmas season. As we said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unwrapping Christmas and all that happened. But I'm hoping this morning that we can just kind of lead into that. And I have, I'm just... I have good news this morning. Our king is coming. Our king is coming. <laughs> I told Nisa, she's like, Sammy, what's the name of your of your sermon you're preaching? I'm like, our king is coming. She's like, that's all you have to say. So we're done. No, go on. Because no. <laughs> it preaches all by itself. It's so exciting. Our king is coming. And not only prophetically is he coming, but he is, I'm just, I'm just going to speak it in faith that he's going to come into your circumstances this morning and that you're going to leave here with a renewed sense of hope. Um, as we're going into Christmas, it's the first Sunday of Advent. We're celebrating a miracle that happened over 2,000 years ago. And this wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just happenstance or just a coincidence. This was something, it was one of the most highly anticipated events of all of history. And we, we forget that element of it, I feel, sometimes. Because God's people had been waiting for thousands of years for their Messiah. And they had been believing for one. And, and I love that God didn't keep his plan a secret And there's things that we still don't understand. And we can go through prophecy from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there's still stuff that we scratch our heads and go, what's that mean, Lord? But God laid out an outline in his word from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And he gave us this this outline, this blueprint to be able to understand the things. And I think he did that for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons that he gave us the prophecies is so that we would know what to look for. He didn't give it to us just so that we could keep it a a secret or or not pay any attention to it. Oh, well, maybe that's hard to understand, so we shouldn't talk about it. No, no, no. He wants us to know what to look for with what's coming and what has already been done. And number two, I think he gave us the prophecies so that we could hold on to hope. Listen, 
the hope that is in the word of God and the things that he has already done and the things that we know that he's going to do, that's what puts air in my lungs every morning. Amen. Because you turn on the news for more than about 30 seconds and you're going to lose your peace. Anybody? The peace of God is in his word and in his prophecies and in the the promises that he's given us. And what's so amazing about Christmas is that was the catalyst. That was the start. And Jesus, he came on Christmas as obviously as an infant baby. Miraculously, this was a one-time thing in all of history. Has ever a virgin been able to conceive the son of God? And he came and he did what he came to do. He took on our sin that we deserved. He took the punishment. He defeated hell in the grave and he rose again. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm pretty sure I've heard Pastor Tony say this at one point or another, but it bears repeating. There wouldn't be an Easter without a Christmas. So we we love to celebrate a risen Savior, but we got to remember that this, it all started that one night in Bethlehem. This was the beginning. It was the catalyst of change. The entire, everything that had been prophesied from Genesis all the way through to the start of his birth, this was the very first moment where God's people could look and say, this is the start. God is doing something. He has heard us and he hasn't forgotten about us. And guess what? He's not done yet. He's coming back again. There are so many prophecies left that have yet to be fulfilled. And we're so excited about that. But let's talk a little bit about his first coming. There are hundreds, hundreds of references to the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. Generation after generation of God's people were waiting and studying and watching and praying and just believing for these prophecies. And I have them, ooh, that is tiny print. That's because there's so many of them. And I promise you this will be on Facebook. Take the opportunity. I'm going to read through these because I realize that it's really small print. I am not the wizard of PowerPoint presentation like Pastor Tony is. But I'm going to read through. These are just a handful that I picked out. There are hundreds of them that Jesus fulfilled and I'll start with this one his name was Emmanuel he would be born of a virgin he would be birthed out of Bethlehem he would be a descendant of David he would be called God's son he would be preceded by a messenger he would be a Nazarene he would perform signs of healing he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey he would be subject to a murderous plot He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He would bear our sins and suffer in our place. He would be a willing sacrifice. He would be a Passover lamb. He would be pierced and he would be resurrected. Should I go on? (laughs) There's so many. We could go on and on and on. And next to each of these is the scriptural reference. And I challenge you, even if you just go go to the good old trusty Google and search Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. There is so much material, so much that you can study. So over the course of the next few weeks as we're leading into the Christmas season, this is just my challenge to you. Spend some time in God's word and allow him to reveal to you how miraculous it was that one man, do you realize how improbable it was that Jesus, one man, fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies of the New Testament. Isn't that incredible? 
And I remember Pastor Tony speaking on this a while back, but they, he, there's, they've done the math. There's an actual figure of like how impossible it was for one man to accomplish and fulfill all of these. And not only did he fulfill them, but he fulfilled them to the precise, most accurate detail, some down to the day and the hour that was predicted thousands of years before he was born. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. This is more than just that, oh, wasn't that nice? It was a lovely silent night. It was, but this was a miracle. And this was the start of God fulfilling his promise to bring the king. Our king is coming. Amen. And um, I'm going to lead you to 2 Timothy verse, um, chapter 4, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and take a second to get there. I believe it's on the screen as well. You see, I, I think that when it comes to Jesus returning again, a lot of us have been taught one way or another, but a lot of us have been taught in such a way to look at this with fear and trembling, to be afraid of it. Oh no, he's come. We can't talk about that. He's coming back. I'm, I'm scared. I'm not ready. <laughs> but I want you to read this verse and it says this, Second Timothy 4, 8, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved and eagerly awaited his appearing. That is such a beautiful promise. Let me tell you, naked we came and naked we're going to go. And I, I think about the crowns a lot. And there's actually five crowns. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get there one day. There's actually five crowns that are promised to the saints, to believers, and they enter eternity that they will receive a crown. But the most beautiful part about these crowns, and this one in particular is the one that I've, I've always told my mom, my, my grandmother, my dad, and I have my aunt and uncle. We have a whole section over there of my family that came to support me this morning. But I've always said to them, this is going to be the crown I think that I'm going to get because I've always looked for his coming with joy and great anticipation. And that's the way he wants us to look for him. And when we, when we go up there, here's the, the, this, the most beautiful part about this. If the Lord calls me home right now in the next few moments, I don't have anything I can take to give to him because my hands will be empty. Yes. All of our hands will be empty. But for those who've awaited his coming, When you get into glory and step into eternity and you get before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you will receive a crown for the only reason of that you were excited to see him. And you, it's not a crown to wear. It's not a crown to keep. It's a crown that you just get to place at his feet and say, I waited for you, Lord. I looked for you. I was so excited to see you. And you get to lay it. You get to give him something. We talk about giving all the time at Christmas. Yeah. How exciting it was for them to bless this newborn baby, the son of God with gifts. You too will get to give a gift. And here's the perfect opportunity. Get excited about him coming back, church, because this crown will be promised to you that you will get to bestow upon his feet. And I'm going to give you an example. My girls don't know that I'm doing this, <laughs> but I'm going to show you a picture that I took. Does anybody remember March of 2020? <laughs> it feels like 15 years ago. <laughs> it's only been a year and a half, but this picture that I'm, we're going to have it come up on the screen was a picture that I took actually two pictures that I took in March of 2020. It was probably a week after the shutdown and we were at home with nothing else to do. And 
This is kind of a, this is really bizarre. This is sort of a regular occurrence in our house. (laughs) Because since our girls were born and they were infants, my husband and I decided that we were going to instill in them this eagerness, this anticipation, this excitement for Jesus to come back so that they wouldn't be afraid about it. And we just, so we talk about it. It's like a centerpiece of conversation in our home. We talk about it all the time. And I've taught them to keep their eyes on the skies. Even as little, little, I remember Lacey, she was like two years old in the car seat in the back. And there was one of those beautiful purple and pink and orange skies. And she said, mommy, Jesus painted the sky. I said, yes, he does. We're supposed to keep our eyes on the sky. We're supposed to look for Jesus in those everyday things. And this is just a really practical way that we taught our girls about this. And so this one day, March, 2020, the world's spinning around, everything's chaos. And I go out in the kitchen and my girls are standing on a kitchen chair, looking out the window over the sink. And they're like, mommy, this guy is doing a really cool thing. Come look, come look. Jesus could be coming back. It could be it. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. And so I got out my phone really quick and I just, I just snapped a couple of pictures and I never shared it on social media. I was like, people are going to think I'm crazy, ridiculous, but this is, I loved it because look at how excited they are. Look at their faces. And yes, it was funny and it was cute, but this is, I think this is how he wants us to wait for him church. Not just prophetically, but just in your miracle. In whatever it is that the promises are that you're waiting for him to fulfill. This is how he wants us to wait. He doesn't want us waiting out of fear and trembling. And I was thinking about this as far as just a relationship with the father. And you th- it's so easy to point out how children behave. If daddy's coming home and the children know that daddy's coming home to get them. And they're hiding in a closet because they're afraid Doesn't that point out a little bit of a toxic relationship with the father? But when they're waiting at the window and they're like, when's daddy going to come home? How much longer? How much longer till daddy gets home? Oh, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to wait. And I believe that's how he's called us to wait for him. And another group of characters that I that I'll talk about as we're getting into that Christmas story is the wise men. The wise men are have always just captivated me because I just want to know more about them. And you can read more about them in Matthew chapter two if you want to write that down in your notes or just kind of pinpoint that for later in your study throughout the upcoming weeks. But it has always fascinated me because between Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and the writings of Matthew there's 400 years of silence from, from God. He didn't say a word. 400 years of silence, and yet there's this group of men, the wise men, the magi, not necessarily located within Israel. They were from a land far away. We don't know a lot about them, but it's so interesting to me that after all of those years of silence, they didn't even live in Israel. They were watching the sky. And they only knew to do that because generation after generation, they were taught to look. These are the signs. This is what to look for. And 400 years pass. And then here's these men who have been watching and studying and waiting for a star to appear in the sky. And when this certain star would appear, it would indicate the birth of a king. And so when the star appeared in the sky, what'd they do? They packed up and they left. 
They were like, yes, this is it. And they, they didn't know his name. They didn't know all the details that we know. But they got on their camels or whatever it was that they rode. And they went on a journey. And I was talking to a pastor friend of mine throughout the week about this because I was so nervous about this message. And I was going through just about the wise men. And he said, you know what's really cool about that, Sammy, is that it's possible that the wise men knew the prophecies of Daniel. We don't know this for sure, but there's a lot of, and I, and I went and researched it and he's, he was right. There's a lot of study done that it's possible that the wise men would have known because Daniel actually became the head wise men when he was in his office. And so it's, it's very probable that they would have known that a son of God was coming because they would have known what would have been passed through Daniel. Isn't that amazing? And they kept their eyes on the sky and when they saw that star, they went. And we don't know, there's a lot of um, just different opinions about did they actually, we always see in the, in the kind of the movies and the shows done about the birth of Christ that they got there right away. We don't know that they got there right away in that moment. Some say Jesus could have been up to two years old. I don't know. We'll find out one day. It'll be great. We'll ask him all these kinds of questions. But either or they got to be a part of that miracle of being able to behold the face of the son of God. Because they were paying attention. They were watching for the signs and they were excited that the king was coming. Amen. And so now I'm going to flip into... John chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. I think I put the reference up on the screen because it's, it's just a lot. So I'm just going to encourage you, if you have your Bibles or if it's on your phone, go ahead and turn there with me. And um, it basically is a conversation. I love conversations in the Bible because I'm always like, why did they say that? And, well, what were they thinking before that? And what were they doing before? And I, I just love dissecting converse, conversations, especially ones with Jesus. Because I, I just want to be the fly on the wall and see every expression on his face and what he would have been thinking and all of it. And so here we are, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And we're just going to kind of unpack it together. And we learn about a man named Nathaniel. And it starts at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So I'm going to pause right there because I thought, okay, so somehow this tells us that Nathanael and Philip would have been in that group of people that would have been waiting and believing of the law and the prophets written of by Moses. And so this took me to Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. I believe that one will be on the screen for you as well. And maybe this is, this, this is a verse that they would have known. It would have said this. I will raise them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. Moses started speaking way back in Deuteronomy, but even back before that of a coming king. One who he would put the words in his mouth and that all were to listen to him. And so we're going to move on in this conversation because then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Oh no, sorry, I skipped a part. <laughs> Back
Back to verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. So there's some doubt and skepticism right there. Anybody? Anybody relate? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was, in their opinion, a town of very little worth. It was like, can anything good come out of Milton? Can anything good come out of Muncie? Can anything good come out of... Williamsport. I mean, it'd be like any of these small towns that most of us have grown up in around here. Like, what's so significant about Nazareth? And I also want to point out, just as far as God's promises and his plans, that they might not look like what you expect. Because the pe- God's people in that day, when they, when, especially when he says Nazareth, they were looking for a king already, like, fully grown, fully arrived, wearing a robe and a crown and, you know, being followed by an entourage. They, they wanted that royal majestic king. So that's what they were looking for. And they got a baby in a barn, right? In a little town named Bethlehem. What's so big about Bethlehem? Lenny grew to be, what's so big about Nazareth? It wasn't what they expected. And I just want to, I just want to say this and I know it's kind of strange, But it came to me while I was writing this message that the promise that God has given you might look like a barn for a little while. But just hold on because the kingdom is coming. It might look like this is small. But if you're faithful in the small things, he will bless upon you the bigger things. Is that right? It might look like something so insignificant. But that was, Jesus came in the humblest of ways. He just, he was there. And the coolest part is, is that when he comes back, he comes back robed in righteousness and crowned in glory. And he comes back riding in on a white horse. And trust me, it will be a majestic moment. That's what the Jews were expecting then. They just kind of got the timing off a little bit. He is king and he is coming and he is crowned with glory. But we got to be prepared for our promises and for the plans of God sometimes to not always unfold the way that we expect them to. And so let's move on in this conversation because now Jesus gets to speak. Because after Nathaniel kind of voiced that doubt and skepticism, Nathaniel just said, come and see. Don't you love that? That's like, that's, you know, that's, that's the best invitation to church. You don't have to give them the full doxology of all of the... Just, just say, come and see. When you're leading somebody to Jesus, you don't have to have everything all memorized. You don't have to know every single scripture to lead them to the Lord. Just say, come and see. And, and trust me, Jesus will show up. Because then he speaks and he says this. Then, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite. In whom there is no deceit. And I love that the first thing Jesus, Jesus, Nathaniel didn't know Jesus yet. So to him, it's a perfect stranger. But Jesus, upon first meeting him, he already knows the character of Nathaniel. He knows that he was a noble man. And that's the first thing that he says about him. The first thing Jesus, he didn't say, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe who I was. You thought I came from an insignificant town. That wasn't what he said. He said, you are a man in which there's no deceit. He was saying, you are an honorable man, Nathaniel. I think sometimes we assume that God has the worst to say about us. But if we were to only know 
what the first thing he'll say to us. I think it would blow our mind. And it would probably break our heart. Because he believes the best about you that we don't even believe in ourselves. And so the conversation moves forward. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus responds, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I'm going to pause there again because my instant question was, well, what happened under the fig tree? What was so what was so big that happened under the fig tree? What, what is this? Because it, the, the scripture, um, there's only like two more verses and we don't know for sure. So I'm going to talk a little bit about why was Nathaniel under the fig tree? Well, I can't tell you for 100% certainty, but there, there are some very significant things about the fig tree that I'm going to talk about because it is very much significant and related to God's promises and the things that he's going to do. The fig tree has always and will always represent Israel. It's mentioned over 50 times in scripture. And every time it was always a representation of God's promises over Israel. And that there would be a coming king. It was also known as a sacred place of prayer, study, and meditation. This was a place where God's people went to make an appointment with God. And to remember the promises that he had spoken over their nation. Because in this point in time, they were waiting Waiting, waiting, and believing for their Messiah to come and to restore all of those promises of Israel. And so that day that Jesus somehow saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, well, here's why it was so special. No one was there. Nathaniel was all by himself under that fig tree. And I believe. It's safe to assume that that day, whether it was happenstance and it was the first time he ever went and sat under a fig tree in his life, or if this was a daily or weekly habit that Nathaniel had with the Lord, he had an appointment that day with the Father. He had an encounter that day with God that was a standout moment. Has anyone ever had a standout private moment in prayer with God that you knew that he met you there, but you were all by yourself? Yeah. So maybe he was there because everything in his world was falling apart. Maybe it was just his habit to go there and to pray. Maybe he had a promise that he was holding on to and believing, whether personally or prophetically. Maybe he had been given a vision or just an an internal hunch that one day he was going to meet the Messiah in his time. And these are all things that as I was reading other people's um, kind of opinions about this text, these are all things that people have written to say, well, maybe... We won't know. We might get to ask him one day, right? But either way, I'm going to also point you to Zechariah 3, 8, 10. Maybe he knew this verse. It says this. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant, the branch with a capital B. That means he's talking about the Lord. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. And on that one stone are seven eyes. And I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. And on that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. And this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So maybe this was just his waiting spot. He's saying, I know you're coming, Lord. For me, this spot would be in the spring and the summer. It's my front porch. 
That's where I go and I pray and I believe on the promises he's spoken under my life, over my life. In the wintertime, it's right in front of my fireplace. Do you have a place that you can go that's like your fig tree? Where you go and you make it a habit to pray and believe over the promises in his life, in your life. In any case, no matter why he was there, God met him there that day. And we know that this was such a big moment because that doubt and skepticism that Nathaniel had just spoken a moment ago is now replaced with faith and declaration because he says this in verse 49. Back to the scripture in John, Nathaniel says, Rabbi. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He went from what good comes from Nazareth to how do you know me to you are the son of God. And that was all the Lord needed to do was just to say, I saw you. And I'm here today to tell you he saw you. I don't know what moment you've had with the Lord. I don't know what private encounter you've had or what you're waiting on personally or prophetically. But he saw you and he has heard you. And I believe that this is in scripture to remind us of that. That he has seen those private moments when we feel like we're alone. I've heard people say, I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. They're not. You might feel like it, but they're not. This is proof. If he heard Nathaniel and saw Nathaniel under the fig tree when he was completely alone, he sees you too. Amen. And here's what's also pretty neat about what Nathaniel said. He was the very first that we know of in scripture to out loud proclaim Jesus as the son of God. No one else had said it yet. They didn't know. But Nathaniel knew because he knew the only way. For him to know that was if, if he was the son of God. And so then Jesus says this, and I love this part in verse 50. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus was essentially saying this. You haven't seen anything yet. You think that was cool that I saw you under the fig tree? That's nothing. Get ready for what we're about to do. There's so much more. I'm just getting started. And that vision that he said about the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, that points us back to Jacob's ladder. And I'm just going to give you the reference for that really quick. Please, I encourage you, take a snapshot, do whatever you got to do, and read through these scriptures over the week, because I'm telling you, they are mind-blowing. Remember how I told you this much of a passage opened up this much information? This is another part of that. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. And this is what happened. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place and put it there at his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, 
the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jesus was saying, I am the bridge. That's what he was telling Nathaniel in that moment. I am the bridge that connects God and man. This is the start of the promises that God spoke all these years ago in Genesis. This is thousands of years. Jesus is saying, it's time. It's just beginning. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the bridge reaching down from heaven. He's the bridge between us and God. And so my final point is this. God has not forgotten you. He has seen you. He has not forgotten his promises over you. He has not forgotten his promises over the church, his bride. He hasn't forgotten his promises for the nations. All this that's happening right now that just seems to be spinning completely out of control, it's not a surprise to him. He knew this from the moment of creation. And he's bringing things into completion and fullness. And he did it with Jesus' first coming. And he's going to finish it with Jesus' second coming. And we are living in a really special time. When we get to watch and behold, and I'm not saying this for any of you to leave here and be afraid. Remember that picture of my children. He wants us to wait with anticipation and excitement for him to come. But he's not just coming prophetically. I'm going to speak this out of faith this morning. And as if you feel led to, as I'm going to pray over all of you here in a moment, if you need the Lord to touch a certain area of your life and you're holding on to a promise our king is coming he's coming into your finances especially in this upcoming year he's coming into your marriage he's coming into your job he's coming into your calling he's coming into your family he's coming into your children pastor lee shardy mentioned the prodigals are coming home church The prodigals are coming home this year and we're going to speak it and we're going to believe it. Addictions are going to be broken. The king is coming, church. And we don't have a lot of time, but there's the time that we have left. It's going to be incredible what he's going to do. And amidst what seems to be the scariest of circumstances when we leave this, I, I get it. It looks a little dark out there. But the king is coming and he's coming into your world. And I'm going to, if you need that touch and I'm going to invite you to, you can stand, you can sit, you can pray, you can kneel, you can come up to this altar, but we're going to pray ahead of this, not just the Christmas season and all that God wants to reveal about how good he is and the promises that he's spoken and that have already come to pass and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. But it's not just about this. He cares about your stuff going on too. So if you need that touch in a certain area, maybe it is. Maybe it's a healing that you're waiting on. It's a promise you're waiting on. It's a call you're waiting on. I want you to stand with me if you feel led. And you're welcome to come forward to this altar. And I'm going to pray over you and we're going to believe. Father God, you are so good. 
you have never once forgotten us. We are your children and we can't even possibly contain the amount of love that you have for us. And your promises are true. There has never been one thing that you've ever said and given us in, the, in your word. It is ironclad. It is the sword of the spirit. You have never, ever backed down on a promise. You have been so faithful, God. And we trust you and believe you to be faithful with all of the rest. Father, I want to speak over every single person at the sound of my voice. As we are closing one year and beginning a new one, Father, we bring these things that we are believing for to you, God. And we ask you to touch every single life. Restore healing. Restore relationships. Mend things back together that were broken. God, we give you our mess. And we ask you to take it and do what only you can do. And Lord, while we wait for you, whether it's for a breakthrough or a miracle or to actually hear that trumpet sound, restore in us the hope that the enemy has tried to rob away from us about the things that you're getting ready to do. Lord, I ask that you would restore peace, restore joy, restore every good fruit of the spirit upon this body in the mighty name of Jesus. Do not let the enemy steal from us our hope any longer. Keep his bondage and his discouragement miles upon miles away from every person in this body right now in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. And I seal every single person under your blood right now, under your covering. And we release to you the promises that you've spoken over our lives. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Just right where you are, would you stand with me all across this room? something that Sammy just she said a couple things today that just struck me and one of those things Sammy I love what you said there was Nathaniel was the first to declare the first to declare I don't know what that just jumped out at me and that could be something I preached on the line I tell you what the first to declare it's easy to repeat somebody else's declaration it's easy for me to say something and say repeat after me and all you have to do is repeat. But what but what, what really resonates with me and I believe it resonates in the body of Christ is someone that's willing to step out and say, I believe this because I've experienced it. I believe this because I've experienced him. My question today to every single one of us, and I say us because I'm in that. You said it, I'm just processing it myself. Is will you be the one? Will you be the one to speak out when everybody else is quiet? Will you be the one to speak out when everybody else is not speaking for the ones that can't speak for themselves? Will you be a voice to the voiceless? Will you be that source of strength to those who don't have any strength anymore?
this week they in, in the news uh, we were hearing uh, more specifically in the sports world they were honoring uh, those who have fought cancer and won and those who fight cancer and one of those people that they were honoring in, in the sports world was Stuart Scott some of you know who Stuart Scott if you follow sports Stuart Scott was a, an anchor and an just a, an F, just an unbelievably fluid vocally, orally, just gifted person. And he did so many things in the sports world. And then he, all of a sudden, was struck in with, uh, struck in with cancer of some sort. And I don't know exactly all the details on it, and I'm, it's not important. But he got struck with cancer. And you know what he One time he was receiving an award, and I believe it was the last award he received at an ESPN uh, award ceremony. He stood there with the award in his hand. He says, when you fought and you fought and you fought and you fought yourself to the end, lay down and rest and let somebody fight for you. Friend, some of you have fought and fought. You fought and fought for a moment. When you, if you follow Jesus, sometimes you need to sit down and say, God, there's some things I cannot fight myself. Let us fight for you. So if you're here today and you don't even know how to believe anymore, can I tell you something? Fight till you can't fight anymore. And then come. Come to someone that can help you fight some more. Because all of God, all, all that God is asking of you is a, to, to be willing to fight. So I'm asking you, are you willing to be the one? And if you're willing to be the one, just lift up your hands all across the room. Say, Pastor, I'm willing to be the one. I'm willing to be the one. I'm willing to be the one. I'm raising my hand right now. I'm responding to my own call right now because our king is coming. He's coming. And I can't afford to lay low. I can't afford to to borrow somebody else's declaration. For a time, that's okay that I can declare what you are declaring. But there comes a point where I have to re, I have to just reevaluate and make a declaration myself. If you can't fight anymore, let someone fight for you. But there comes a point where you rise up and you got to begin to say, "I'm going to speak because I've been given a word to speak." Speak it. Speak it. Speak it.